You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hi, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jacqueline Alamani, the congressional investigations reporter here at the Washington Post. And our guest today is former Republican Michigan Congressman Fred Upton. Welcome back to Washington Post Live, Congressman. It's still Fred, Jackie. Nice to see you. <laughs> I needed permission for you to tell me to call you Fred. <laughs> Uh, well, let's get right to the news. Donald Trump was indicted for a third time last week, this time on charges that he tried to subvert the results of the 2020 election. You said this indictment was, quote, totally justified the vote I cast, meaning your vote to impeach Mr. Trump for those actions. Why do you feel vindicated? Well, we saw it firsthand. I mean, those of us that were there in the Capitol that day and you know, talking to the officers afterward, watching them, you know, casting a vote at eight o'clock or so when, when the House came back after we had adjourned because of all the insurrectionists that were there. Uh, but the bottom line was he really did try to discount or, or, or not allow the counting of the electoral votes on January 6th. Uh, we see the conspiracy charges with the fake electors. I have every, every reason to believe that that uh, was directed by someone within his administration. Uh, I've read the indictment that came out uh, this last week. Uh, no, don't know how fast the, the trial is going to proceed and the different charges that are going on. But uh, absolutely, uh, every one of us that cast that vote, all 10 of us, uh, saw the same thing. And you got to remember, too, uh, right after January 6th, uh, the president said in his own words, I did everything totally appropriate. Uh, uh, I don't know if he'd say the same thing today, but uh, that was uh, one of the bottom lines why I voted to uh, impeach him uh, back then. So I, I'm not sure he said that what he did was totally appropriate, but at a dinner last Friday in Alabama, Trump said, quote, anytime they file an indictment, we go way up in the polls. That is a slight exaggeration, but we've all seen his poll numbers go up since he announced he was running for president, and th those three indictments subsequently have been released, and his core support never wavers, no matter the legal proceedings against him. How do you explain this ironclad support from his base? Well, you know, he's portrayed himself as the victim. Uh, I'm on his uh, email list. In fact, uh, today, I already got uh, this morning on my email, a uh, new poll shows President Trump with a massive lead in New Hampshire. Uh, he's at 43, DeSantis now in single digits, Christie second, tied for second at nine, Haley at seven, Scott at five, Pence uh, down at three. But yeah, his numbers get stronger with every one of these indictments. And I suspect if there's another one this week in Georgia, and it sounds like there is based on the security that's going around the courthouse, uh, his, his numbers stay solid. Uh, he has done a masterful job at making sure that his base is there. Uh, they're, someone might say armed and ready, but they're, they're ready. And uh, so far, it's not weakened them at all. Yeah. And when Trump was indicted this past spring, that first indictment that came down in, in New York, almost all of his GOP rivals reacted with outrage against the prosecutors. Uh, this messaging actually owned on, on your old stomping grounds, as we've seen the House GOP make their oversight efforts uh, largely hinged on defending the former president, saying that the Biden administration has been weaponized against him. Um, there have been some candidates, people like Chris Christie, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, um, and even 
in recent days, former Vice President Mike Pence, who have thrown some criticisms his way. But do you think that the tide will turn overall and that fellow Republicans will be emboldened to criticize Trump? Or or do you think that basically until the primary, they're all going to toe the line here? I think the the ones that are in the race are going to stay with the talking points that they've said so far. I don't think they're going to flip back one way or another. I watched Chris Christie last night on CNN. I thought he did a fantastic job, particularly coming back from Ukraine as he was there just a week or so ago. Uh, And it's one of the reasons, I mean, you you see what Chris Christie says. Uh, We have this upcoming Republican debate on the the 23rd. Uh, My sense is that Trump will say, I've got this huge double-digit lead over all these folks. Uh, I think that he'll be afraid to take the hit from Chris Christie and others that might be armed, ready to go after him. And uh, so he'll avoid that debate, knowing that he can, you know, his view is if he just sits it out, he'll keep this double-digit lead with the primaries uh, only a a few months away. He's identified, this is Trump, more than 100,000 Trump supporters in Iowa. Now, you got to remember back in 2016, Trump didn't win the Iowa caucus, uh, but he's got he's done a masterful job at, at identifying these folks. I suspect that they're going to turn out, and with you know twelve folks in the race, uh, which is you know there were seventeen people in the race back in 2016, he's in pretty solid solid grounds uh, to win the nomination uh, as the clock just continues to tick, and he's not made any stumbles as it relates to his base. But what are voters supposed to make of someone like Chris Christie? This is someone who was one of the first people to get behind Trump in in 2016, someone who worked on his presidential transition team and really only started speaking out against him after January 6th. Why are voters supposed to trust Chris Christie now? Well, Chris's problem is, and I know I'm talking to say Chris, uh, is that there are too many people in the field. Uh, And that's I mean, that's how Trump won the first time. 17 people in the field. He had a base of about 30 percent. The dominoes fell his way and he became the nominee and ultimately the winner of the November election. Uh, you know, when more Republican candidates got in uh, over the last uh, six or eight months, I mean, the mayor of, of Miami, it's, et cetera, it only helps him. Uh, remember that South Carolina is an early state now in the Republican primary well, it's for, for both. Uh, with two candidates, Tim Scott and and Nikki Haley, both from, you know, solid folks uh, in South Carolina, it only helps uh, Trump uh, in that race as it divides the the base in in opposition to him, knowing that he's going to keep his his own base. And, you know, people see these poll numbers and, man, you you see them every day. I'm getting something from the Trump campaign. He's winning 60 points in Tennessee, New Hampshire. I mean, Michigan, all these, all these states, he's, he's got the endorsements, and he's he's on a on, on a roll uh, to make sure that he captures that nomination, knowing that there are so many people in the race. And there's another governor who's also changed his tune in the past few days. That's Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who finally acknowledged that Trump did in fact lose the 2020 election. Do you think that this is a, a trend that will continue? And what do you think the winning message is here on, on the 2020 election as Trump is going to continue to litigate that as he's brought to court? Well, for DeSantis, it, it almost is. And he's had a struggling campaign. Let's face it, he's 
fired his campaign manager a little bit earlier this morning. They've had big staff layoffs. Uh, no one's seen any real traction from him in the last uh, four or five months. But for him, it's, you know, as you look at the Republican voters, uh, if Trump wasn't in the race, he'd be a runaway. Uh, but I think the, the, the base voter, the, the, particularly the, the Trump voter, says, if you can have the real thing in Trump, why should you have something like DeSantis and that, uh, particularly with the hits that DeSantis endured? I mean, the, the ads that we saw even here in Michigan, how he voted against Social Security and raising taxes and, you know, his uh, issue in Ukraine obviously got a lot of play that, that uh, poisoned the well for a number of, of folks that, that uh, care about that issue. Uh, but I, I, I don't think he'll go farther than, than he will, because let's face it, for a lot of these candidates that are there, if for some reason Trump does fall apart, which is hard to fathom, but if he does, whoever emerges wants to make sure that they can capture uh, that base, uh, particularly if Trump um, you know, didn't run as an independent or, or something like that. So they're very hesitant to attack uh, in a major way uh, a, a front runner with the lead that he has. So in the case that Trump does fall apart, some GOP candidates have floated the idea of pardoning him. You've said that that idea is insulting. Why? Yeah, I, look, uh, I was there on January 6th. Uh, we've heard him over and over. I mean, this is year three uh, since the election. He has yet to recant. He has yet to say he made a mistake. Uh, he continues to say that the election was stolen. Uh, the evidence that will be presented uh, from the grand jury, and we, you know, of course, we'll we'll all see that in the in the months ahead, uh, make it pretty clear that there, in my view, that there was a conspiracy. That they, you know, this is not a freedom of speech uh, issue. That they actually directed the Department of Justice his top aides and others to interfere with the, with the states. Uh, he continues uh, to be on that same page. And I think that it would be wrong. I think that it would be, be wrong to give him a pardon, knowing that, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to compare this to baseball, but, you know, Pete Rose, uh, <laughs> he never acknowledged that, that he was betting on games. Uh, and uh, for Trump, he's never admitted that he's lost uh, three three years later. And he's Seen uh, a lot of folks. Uh, I mean, he, you know, we, we saw deaths at, at the U.S. Capitol. We, we, you know, for for our history, you know, we've been proud of having a peaceful transition of power uh, that he tried to directly involve himself and disrupt back on January 6th. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not in favor of pardoning, and I would hope that whoever, you know, however this breaks, and uh, that that doesn't become uh, a big issue. Doesn't happen. What about so the, the argument that we've heard about sort of this idea that a pardon would be helpful for healing the the country? I mean, it's not often in democracies. I mean, I think we see this obviously in dictatorships where a former president is behind bars. Well, this is three years later. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, I, you know, we'll see how the the juries move, uh, you know, I, I, it's going to be a long time between, you know, if there is a conviction and the appeals that take place, you know, for those that were trying to suggest that Trump would be in jail behind bars uh, for the November election. I mean, that's just, 
that's not going to happen. There, there's, there's a long process, a judicial process here, uh, uh, and you know, ultimately we'll, we'll watch uh, closely what happens. But who knows if he, he would actually, if he's convicted, if he'd actually get a jail term versus some substantial fine or uh, a, a major reprimand. I mean, that's uh, a way down, way down the road. I want to get to a viewer question we have from Calvin Hamilton in California, and he asks, what do you tell people who say that this is a witch hunt or politically motivated? You know, I, I think, look, I was there on January 6th. I mean, uh, the evidence has come in. You'll recall that uh, a good number of folks, uh, whether they be in the administration or aides, uh, didn't want to testify. They made it very difficult for uh, the process uh, to move forward. Uh, and even at this point, you've got the, the Trump team asking for delays and uh, not wanting it to, to come. So, but at, at some point you got to pay the piper. I mean, justice has to be served and based on the evidence, hey, we'll, we'll see what happens. No one's above the law. And I want to talk a little bit about the future of the GOP. You served in Congress for 36 years as a proud Republican. Do you still consider yourself a Republican? Oh, absolutely. I'm, you know, I, I got my start a uh, long, long time ago, uh, 36 years in the House. I worked for in the Reagan administration at the White House for four and a half years. Before that, I worked for our local congressman here in southwest Michigan. Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm a Reagan Republican. I'm a governing Republican. Uh, I know that in, I, I learned Reagan's principles so way back when, and he had, of course, a, a Democratic Congress that he worked with. But he got things done. And, you know, at the end of the day, when he ran for reelection, he won 49 states, losing only Mondale's Minnesota, uh, his opponent. But he was he was a standout for civility, uh, for decency. People loved him on both sides of the aisle. Now, we were going through some tough times uh, back then, too. I mean, the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, inflation, uh, the economy. Uh, you know, you always have uh, huge issues of the day. Uh, but he's the the model that I followed, and I absolutely I'm still a Republican. I contribute to the Republicans. I'm involved in a, a good number of different things, not only here in Michigan, but but around the country as well. And I'm also a proud, you know, I've been working with no labels, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. Where we're actually trying to encourage a Republican and a Democrat uh, to run as a team, uh, and uh, particularly if it, if it's Biden and Trump and allow the voters to make a decision if they want really a, a third choice based on the, the track record of the two that are have been in office. I have many questions about your involvement with no labels, but first, in the event of a, a Biden-Trump matchup in the general election, who are you voting for? <laughs> well, I'm hoping, if that's what it is, I'm hoping that no labels uh, will get on all 50 states' ballots uh, we're on a number of them already. We're in play in a, nearly two dozen others. Uh, we're going to have a national convention in Dallas uh, in April of next year. Uh, but I'd like to think that if it is Biden and Trump, that no labels will be successful in getting on all 50 states. And we'll have uh, a Republican and a Democrat, who knows in what order, uh, that I could support and, and be able to vote for that in November next year. And, and what if no labels isn't successful in that? <laughs> You're putting you're putting me in the corner. I, I think that we will be. I actually, I, I really do. I mean, we're on, you know, we got on, our, um, you know, we're on more than half a dozen uh, ballots uh, now, and uh, we're we're proceeding. We're 
you know, I'm watching this very closely. I, I think that it's going to happen, I, uh, particularly if it's Biden and Trump. We'll, we'll return to that question, but yeah, right. in, in terms of third party candidates, uh, there isn't one that has won an electoral vote since 1968. Why do you think this time is going to be different? Well, you know, the polling actually shows that nearly 70 percent of American voters are ready for a third party candidate, particularly if it's if it's a rematch of, of Biden and Trump. Uh, we've seen this really for the last number of months. Uh, no labels is polled uh, more than 50,000 uh, households, uh, particularly in key states like Michigan. And the, vo the voters want a choice. Uh, and, you know, back in 92, Perot uh, actually got nearly 20% of the vote. He got on all 50 states' ballots. A and I think the same thing can happen here, particularly if, it, if it's a rematch uh, between the two. And uh, there, there's, there's a good chance that if if it's an appealing ticket, uh, people like bipartisanship. They're tired of the, you know, I'll say it, the crap that's going on uh, over the last uh, number of years, the insults, the inability to get things done, the failure to get a budget, uh, the failure to deal with the major issues like immigration and, and crime and a whole number of different things. And they're looking for a new, new approach. And I, I think, frankly, that if we're able to get on these states' ballots, that we'll have a, that we'll see a team that will reach out. Uh, on their own and be able to 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 make a real difference. Uh, and who knows what will happen? we got a long ways to go. West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin and former Utah Governor Republican John Huntsman have recently attended a No Labels event in New Hampshire in, in the past few weeks. Are these the two men that your choice is going to be for the No Labels bipartisan ticket? You know, I was there in New Hampshire for their town meeting. They actually did two. One was uh, televised, uh, one was not. Uh, but it was uh, really for the launch of, of this booklet called Common Sense. Uh, where I'm trying to aim it right in the camera, but I'm missing here. Big time, I guess I'm in front of myself. But it's uh, commonsense.org. People can, can get a copy online and see it. Uh, it's about 50 pages of, uh, of where we stand, where we think that we ought, issues that we ought to deal with, including. Social Security versus ignoring the problem. Uh, and it was at, uh, in Manchester, New Hampshire, and they both did a really good job. Now, to your question, are these the two? Not necessarily. I, I would say that there's probably a good laundry list. My name, by the way, is not on it, nor should it be. Uh, but there's probably a good 10 or 12 folks uh, on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat, that I think would welcome uh, Many of the issues that we, we cite here uh, in, in terms of how they would like to proceed. And, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, it'll be a very transparent process and we'll, we'll figure out how this uh, all lays out. But they they both did a really good job. You know, I I had forgotten that John Huntsman had run for president back in, in 12. Uh, he was terrific. Of course, I knew Joe Manchin uh, when I served in the House. He, he was very active with no labels, but we did a lot of things together. Uh, we worked on the infrastructure bill, uh, which uh, President Biden signed into law. We worked on the chips bill. Uh, he was a leader in terms of avoiding this debt ceiling crisis that we had back a month or so ago. So, you know, we'll see how this all plays out. But they did both a very good job. And I suspect that you'll see a number of these uh, well-publicized events in different states, probably with, with different people. 
Republicans and Democrats uh, talking about the need for bipartisanship, for civility, for working together in addressing the nation's problems that, frankly, we can't afford to kick down the road uh, in, in further years. So you're not sure yet who who your choice no, of no, we don't. There's, there's not a there's not a top choice here um, uh, at this point. I I think you'll see a process, a, an interview process. Uh, we're not going to you know we're not going to be able to have primaries in in every state, but we are going to have that national convention in Dallas that would ratify a team if in fact it looks like it would be uh, Biden and, and Trump in terms of a rematch. We also have until really mid to late summer next year uh, to decide to pull back uh, it, it, so that we, um, you know, if, if for some reason it's not Biden and Trump, for some reason, uh, you know, wh whatever it is, we we have a good number of months before we actually uh, would decide to, to push for a ticket that, of course, those candidates would run themselves. So on that topic of, of pulling back, there have been a slate of polls, NBC, CNN, Cook Political Report, 538, and even the lone poll that has been commissioned by No Labels that, that have showed that a third party candidate benefits Donald Trump and moves the race from very close uh, against Biden to a slight Trump advantage. Is, you know, what do you have to say about this argument and the potential that this effort is going to help Trump win? Well, a couple things. Uh, first of all, we have a long time. Second, and you know me a little bit, Jackie, um, the last thing that I think you, well, I won't say you because you're, uh, the, the last thing that I would want to do is to have this effort reelect Trump. <laughs> you know, I cast a vote uh, to uh, to impeach him. Uh, I would not want to be part of any effort that would see him reelected in terms of a of a rematch, which is why I'm working so hard uh, on no labels and really allow the voters to have a choice, have a third choice, if in fact that's exactly what it is. Now, if you look at some of the polls, and you know I've seen a lot of them over the you know since since March. Uh, I think Rasmussen has had Trump beating Biden since June. Uh, you look at the electoral vote count. Uh, you look at the the stuff that I get every day from the from the Trump team on on my own internet, my own own uh, website. Uh, you know, you you think that he's running away with it. So uh, it's it's going to be a very interesting year, that's for sure, uh, as we look ahead. But the bottom line is, let's let the voters have a choice and let them decide what their their uh, their their ballot will look like uh, come November of, of next year if in fact it's tried uh, Biden and Trump. So what's your red line then if you don't want to be part of an effort that helps reelect Trump will no labels pledge to abort their effort to yeah, put up a third candidate? Some, yeah, I think there's been some statements from the no labels folks saying that if if they saw that this was an effort to give Trump a, a victory and outside of the margin of error that uh, at the end of the day, we would we would pull back and 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 not see a, a ticket go forward. So uh, we really have until July or August uh, next year to, to see how things all all shape out, let alone raise, see the candidates uh, raise the money that they would have to raise to be able to compete in a, in a fair way come November. Okay, and I'll try this once more now. In in the case that yeah. No Labels does pull back, it's Biden-Trump. Are you voting for Biden or for Trump? 
I don't want to say yet. Uh, I don't. Ask me, have me on another time. <laughs> and I'm wondering when we're talking about middle ground and why, you know, part of the rationale for why you support no labels and this return to civility, what is the middle ground on these hot button issues of abortion, climate change, civil rights? Well, we got to, you know, we got to deal with them. Uh, uh, you know, we, we saw uh, real, real uh, gridlock uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, at least in the House. We'll see how things all shape out up with the uh, national defense bill. Uh, we saw, you know, one of the things we've been pushing for, one of the things in our publication uh, is the, the Congress needs to pass a budget every year. Uh, you know, early part of this year, the, the Freedom Caucus demanded of the speaker, and he agreed that they would take up all 12 separate uh, appropriation bills in the House. Well, as it turned out, here we are, really, it's September, it's Labor Day, Congress doesn't come back to like the September 10th or so. Uh, they passed one in the House. They passed none in the Senate. They didn't even do a budget resolution in the House or the Senate. Uh, and we're going to be three weeks away, 12 legislative days is all it is in September uh, before the end of the fiscal year. And so not only do they have each one of the appropriation bills, and remember the Freedom Caucus said, we're not doing a continuing resolution. Don't look, us, look at us for the votes. And by the way, uh, they're going to have an automatic sequester on top of that. Uh, so uh, you got the FAA res uh, um, uh, reauthorization that needs to happen. You got the farm bill that expires the end of September. You've got just normal things. Uh, you know, news today is that they're talking a little bit about an impeachment inquiry that maybe not only for some cabinet members, but also for the president to look to see how that might tie things down in terms of not being able to get things done. I mean, this is really one of the most ineffective Congresses that we've ever seen before and based on their track record so far. Uh, they've not gotten anything done uh, in terms of the budget process as it relates to the appropriation bills. No clue as to how this thing is going to well, that does seem to be the trend in the House. I'm wondering, you know, more out of my curiosity as someone who watches the House and, and covers them very closely, how the, the institution has changed since you were there 36 years ago. Well, you know, in the beginning, <laughs> in the beginning, when I was first elected, uh, we did take up all the appropriation bills on the House floor. We'd, we'd spend maybe a week on the labor HHS bill. Uh, and you'd have, you know, germane amendments could be offered. If you raise spending, you had to have an offset in terms of a cut. Uh, and most of the bills, as I recall, passed on a pretty good bipartisan vote, uh, whether it be for veterans or the military or agriculture, uh, uh, all of those. Uh, the last number of years, we've, we've ended up with a CR. We've had we had a couple of shutdowns in the 90s. Uh, we have a real fiscal cliff that's emerging now uh, come September because the differences between the House and the Senate are so great. But, you know, it's um, I, I don't know how they they were allowed to go home for the August recess without getting their work done. I mean, remember, going back to January, all the votes that, that Kevin I think they had, what, 15 ballots before he was ultimately elected speaker. It took about two weeks uh, and lots of promises were made. Many of them were on the fiscal side. We're going to do all 12 bills. We're not going to do a CR. We're going to work together. 
So here we are, let's face it, September, worst track record ever. Uh, where are they in terms of trying to get these bills done? In fact, the last week that the House was in session, they were supposed to do the agriculture appropriation bill as well, relatively easy one traditionally, and they didn't have the votes to even get the rule passed, the procedure to bring it to the House floor to allow for debate, amendments, and passage. And they just pulled the plug and said, go home. We'll see you in September. Uh, not a good track record as, as you look back at this year. They did, to their credit, we did avoid the debt ceiling crisis uh, by literally just a couple of votes, but man, that took forever and a day as well. And friend, I wanna ask you one more question before we run out of time, but who do you consider to be the leader of today's Republican party? Well, you, um, you know, you you know, you really have to look at uh, the speaker, uh, Kevin. I mean, he's the, the highest ranking Republican. And I think uh, you really have to look at Mitch McConnell. Uh, we're all we're sad uh, to, to see his issue uh, uh, two weeks ago or so. But they're really the, the two leaders. Uh, uh, and, you know, let's hope that they can work together and be on the same uh, page uh, when they come back, because you know, we got hey, this is a wonderful country and, and we got to work together to get things done. And when you have divided government, and we do, and we're going to have it after this November election as well, nobody's going to have 60 votes in the Senate. And the House and Senate are pretty well divided as well. The only way you get things done is you work together. And uh, somehow you got to see that hand to piece uh, between the, the R's and the D's, the House and the Senate, and work with the administration as we confront all these issues, whether it be China or Russia, uh, obviously uh, our own economy, pocketbook issues, things with the environment. Climate change is real. <laughs> Look at this summer. Um, it's the only way to get, get things done. And somehow we have to get back to that page and maybe uh, take, take a chapter or two out of the Reagan playbook uh, to see how it ought to work. And on that depressing note, we are unfortunately all out of time. So we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today, Congressman Upton. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.